Electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. So we will certainly try that. Listen, a monster rally. Fast Money begins right now, right in the heart of Times Square. Melissa is off. I am Brian Sullivan. And wow, what a day. Your traders on this record-setting day are both near and far. Pete Najarian in Minneapolis, Chris Harvey, Gene Munster, and Brian Kelly. BK all on set. And our breaking news coverage of this massive Santa Claus rally rolls on. The Dow soaring nearly 1,100 points. That's right, 1,000. 100 points for the biggest one-day point gain ever. Now, not to be outdone, the S&P 500 surging nearly 5% for its best day in a decade. No doubt, investors, CNBC viewers, and listeners are happy right now, especially coming off of Monday's 600-point fall. But here is the trillion-dollar question. Is today's rally a sign that the bottom is in? And is this the start of something great? Or just a huge day in a weakening market because, and I I hate to do this, glass half-empty, the yep. two other biggest point gain days for the Dow, point gain days, 2008. So it's funny. Before we got on the desk, nothing I said funny it, about it 2008. Feels, well, there's nothing funny about that, but it's funny about how this felt today in terms of the volatility that we're having. It felt very much like those rallies we would get in 2008. That is not to suggest that this economy or market or any, is anything like that. What I think we had today was people just said, listen, we've priced everything in. We've priced in all the concerns that we had. Sounds like Powell probably has his job. Uh, chairman, chairman of the Federal Reserve has his job for the next 90 days, maybe 180 days. Sounds like the Fed is going to be somewhat dovish uh, over the next six months or so. Sounds like maybe we're getting some movement on the shutdown. And then, you know what, maybe we get some movement on the tariff talks and you've priced everything in. So people are short. You come in and you get a nice little rally. How much of this was just... Just a short-lived, short-covering rally. Though. I don't think it's short-lived. I think it's sh- every most rallies start with that short covering, right? But because we didn't fade at the end of today, that gives me a lot more hope that this is actually something I'll real. One other thing there, too, is that the tax selling, that was a big piece. I talked to a portfolio manager today, and he mm-hmm. said that he basically cleaned everything up by the end of last week. And obviously, that's been weighing on uh, some of these That he was funds. selling. He was done clients. selling, done right. selling for the clients. And uh, that may have played a little bit into the, some of the action today, getting that stuff cleaned up. But, okay, so hold on for a second, Chris. Pete Najarian, here's, here's my question, though. Again, <laughs> what a day, okay? Nobody's taking anything away from the day. Yeah. But what I want to know is, here's yeah. what I want to know. What is different today than 48 hours ago when the market fell 600-plus points, worst Christmas Eve ever? Yeah. Suddenly, everything's okay. Now, Brian Kelly's going to tell you, Powell's going to stay at work. Maybe we get a rate mm. cut. Trump didn't tweet today. What's different today than 36 or 48 hours ago? And, and, and I'll give you this. How about potential of maybe maybe something happens earlier if you saw Zero Hedge today talking about maybe something happens a little bit earlier in terms of China negotiations. We talk about the trade talk all the time. I agree with Brian Kelly. I mean, the news did change somewhat, Brian, but 
I'm going to give Brian Kelly a little something as well. We talk about algorithms on the downside. I'm going to talk about them on the upside. I think what we were seeing today, once again, was these algorithms that were triggered, and when they triggered, they started moving to the upside. This wasn't just short covering. This was computers that were moving to the upside. So it's not just on the downside, Brian. It happens on the upside as well. Well, That's That's what I think really was Totally agree with you on that, Pete. We talked about it last week, right? Everybody blames the sell-offs on these algorithms. But you know what? Quants can work on the upside and the downside. Can, but does it make it BKA healthier market? I, I mean, listen, makes, we're happy. Most, no. most people own stocks, they don't short stocks. Hold on. Most people own stocks, they don't short stocks. That's why they tend to be happier when things go up. We make money. That said, this is, to me, when oil goes up 10% on nothing fundamental changing from yesterday. But Not a healthy say, market. You could say the same thing last week when oil went down and when the S&P no, went down. No, because there's too much oil. Let, let me, throw, <laughs> let me mean, jump in this, here, too. It, it is, it, computers, aren't, yeah. computers are part of it. They're not causing it. They're an accelerant to this. We've talked about it even since 1987. They said, oh, the crash was because these new computers. This is just part of the market. It doesn't Chris Harvey. Change. So I think Gene is onto something. I think it's the January effect coming earlier. So what you have seen is you've seen selling. You've seen liquidations, deleveraging, tax loss selling. That all ended. And let's roll the clock back to Sunday. It was amateur hour. This one was going to fire that one. This one's sneaking around to banks. And if you wanted to instill confidence, that's not the way to do it. We watched that all out, and BK's right. You have so much negative news in the marketplace. It was Powell. It's a Fed mistake. It, it's, he's going to be fired. Um, the, the economies are rolling over. And finally, what we have is a little bit of good news. And I think what's happened is the selling has stopped. Okay. We, we've gotten you're, to Chris, that point. Chris, you're, you're probably going to dodge this question like dodgeball in fifth grade, but here you go. Scott Miner brought this point up today, which is, You've got kind of missteps all around, okay? The Mnuchin email, the Sunday massacre, whatever you want to call it, sparking a little fear. You had Powell with his unfortunate autopilot comment sort of offhand. You've had the president's tweets, I'm tariff man. We don't need to be political, but today nothing happened politically. It was quiet. Is that what the market needs? So sentiment has broken. What you need is sentiment to improve. You need quiet. You need nothing negative to occur. If you get nothing negative to occur, you can see a lift in the marketplace. I think the other big part that we're missing here is that when we talk about 2008, that brings back that we're not through the worst of this. But 2008, there was something that was fundamentally wrong, obviously, what was going on in real estate. 2000, a lot of people lost their jobs, these companies that came out. So this, to me, is a, you know, you talked at the beginning of the show about are we at the bottom. I'm not going to say we're at the bottom, but I think this is going to be a turning point of the market over the next year because fundamentally, nothing has has really uh, really, uh, fundamentally changed in this market. I think investor confidence is going to spring back. Well, if nothing has changed, okay, let's say we agree with that, Pete Nigeri, and that means 11 months good, one month very bad, right? December has been mm-hmm. terrible. I don't need to tell you all the superlatives. Awesome. Worst yeah. month since yeah. whatever. Insert Great Depression here. So what's right? Is 11 months the way the market's going to go? Or is this month the way well, the market's going to go? I would say this. I would say there's a velocity issue that we're dealing with right now. When we talk about the algorithms, a lot of that really does trigger velocity. I will say this as well, Brian. I don't know how many guys were talking about this today, but in the derivatives markets, long before we started to move to the upside, the first hour of trade, as a matter of fact, we were primarily moving back towards the downside, going into negative territory. There were buyers of spider calls. There were buyers of triple Q calls. When you go to the XMI, the XL, all these various indices out there were getting bought 
showed up in huge numbers, and it's all very short term. So I'm not sure that I, I heard Brian Kelly exactly correctly or not. So I'm just going to say this. I think this is trading. This is not investing. When I look at the vault, where people were looking today, they were going out one week, this week, two weeks, three weeks, but they were going out into January at most, expecting these moves to be very rapid and then pulling back. And when you look at the volatility index, we talked about this for a while. When it was in the low 20s, a lot of guys were saying, hey, you know what? I think we pull back from here. No, we are trading right now in a marketplace that deserves a 30-type VIX that we're seeing right now because we're getting two and three and today 5% moves out of the major indices. We're actually still too cheap going out at a 30 VIX right now mm. than we should be. And a matter of fact, we were at 36. We sold off somewhat down towards 30. I think a little bit of that coming back at the end of the day specifically. But I'll tell you what, we are too cheap even at a 30 VIX right now if we're going to have these kind of moves, and I think we will towards the end of the year. And a VIX that's up 260% so far this year. All right, Chris Harvey, you yep. slashed your 2019 S&P 500 target late last week, but up until yeah. then, you had been a bit of a relentless bull calling for a year-end rally last time you were on this show. Look. I think we can easily get to 2,900, so not that far away. Again, we've had a six-point swing in a matter of hours, in, in 24 hours, at 24 hours of trading, or a little bit more than that. So you can easily have that positive news come back into the marketplace. That's not a surprise. We're sitting around 2,700. We weren't sitting around. We tested 2,800 not that long ago. Now, the S&P 500, Chris, down about 8% since then. You cut your 2019 forecast from 3079 to 2665. What made you change your tune? And how does today's rally, if at all, impact that thesis on the S&P? So today's rally doesn't impact it at all. What impacts it is sentiment has been broken. The Fed is telling you they're going to be reactionary, and that negative feedback loop has been closed. We still think equities can move higher, but the ceiling is lower at this point in time. We were teetering. So before the Fed said what they said, sentiment has been dented, right? Then what they said is, we needed a one and done. They didn't give us a one and done. And I can tell you from the conversations I've had, people are now listless. The, the institutional investor, their confidence is broken. That needs to come back. The other thing is the Fed is going to react to negative news, but the markets are not going to wait for the Fed. And so what is the market going to look like when that negative news comes around? Lastly, and we've been talking about this a little bit, is that it's starting to feed back into the psyche. People are saying, I'm going to wait. I'm going to wait to invest. I'm going to wait to invest in that property, plant, and equipment. That feeds back into the economy, which feeds back into growth, and then ultimately feeds back into equity prices. So we still think... If they missed the rally today, if they were out, right. and we if 5% gained today, 10% if you were in oil, is it too late? I, I don't think it's too late, but you don't want to light your hair on fire. You want to be very selective. REITs, you can buy. Some of the biotechs, I think you can buy. Some of the hardware names, you, the, excuse me, some of the software names, I think you can buy. But you have to be rather selective. So what's interesting, what's changed was when Chris was here in the past, right. is the, the Fed funds rate, what the market is expecting the Federal Reserve to do, has changed a bit. The probabilities have changed a bit to the point where the Fed is expected to be a little easier. So if you're looking for an entry point, you know, I agree with Pete Najarian. I think this is more of a tradable bottom, let's call it. Let's call it for the next maybe 30, 60 days or something like that, you have a chance to trade this thing. But this is deep end of the pool trading. You're going to get massive volatility. Right. You have to be prepared for that. Pete? 
Hey, Brian, this is, you're exactly right, and this is an incredible opportunity, I think, from a trading perspective. First of all, you've got volatility, let's call it above 30, right? And so you've got that in your fa favor as well. Then you look for the fundamental story if indeed you're not going to be in the derivatives market, where I primarily am, but if you're in the actual stock market, there are quality names out there, and we've seen more and more folks that are willing to start stepping in. As a matter of fact, some of the smartest guys I know were calling me today talking about, hey, I'm looking for names that are PE names that are somewhere in the single digits. These guys have great cash balance sheets right now. They're not leveraged. I'm going to start nibbling on some of these stocks. Well, you also have an incredible volatility you can sell against some of that. So I think it does create an opportunity even for some of the longer term. But in the short term, yes, this is trading, 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 because that's the environment we're in and because the algos and we see where volatility is right now. Okay, so if you are trading, 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 as Pete said, 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 then the charts matter a lot. Let's get a check, check, check on the charts with Todd Gordon of TradingAnalysis.com. Third time's a charm, Todd. Welcome. How you doing, Brian? Yeah, let's put it in context. That's a great setup. So S&P 500, just how severe was this downturn? Um, I would show you the prior two significant corrections, 21%, 15%. We just went right down to a 20% technical bear market, and we bounced. I was short. I covered all of my shorts today. As Pete and the guys are saying, this is definitely a trading market. So let's go down to the next chart. Actually, same time frame, but let's define the subtrend that is that has uh, really kept this market going. We did bring break trend. That is an issue. So as we get off of this weekly chart, that trend break occurred at 2525. It's not going to work, but you, that's easy to remember. So off of the weekly, go down to the daily. This is the point that defines the trend. It was broken. There's people caught. There are algos that do follow this kind of stuff. So if you get a reapproach to 2525 on the next chart, that has got to be watched. So right there, this was the trend break. Um, we might have room to go if you're nimble enough. Try to get up to that 25-25, but I don't think the lows are in. I think this is a bear market rally. Markets don't crash higher like they did today. I do think we're going to go down and get to those higher VIX levels, 40, 50, that we've seen in other prior volatility periods. We haven't seen the lows yet. Wow. Any indication of how low the lows may be, Todd? Oh, that's a long conversation. But I do think a breakout to the 2015 area, about 2100, is very possible. And if that doesn't hold, that starts to threaten the very heart of this uptrend. And that brings in a move down around 1800. So I think we might have some room to go. But if everything comes together and we do get that squeeze up through 2525, you know, we could certainly be back in the 26, 2700. But as the guy said, trade it. You've got to stay nimble in here. Wow. Big call there. By the way, got a lot of people off today having some cocktails that are in a great they were in a great mood until just now. We got security downstairs. They'll whisk out the side door. Todd Gordon, thank you very much. We're going to check in with Todd just again a little bit if he's still alive in a few minutes here. Let's trade that call. BK, wow. I mean, wow. Todd, well, look but, out below, according yeah, to Todd Gordon. Yeah, look out below, but also what Todd said is that, you know, we're Flash probably getting Gordon. a tradable rally here. So I know the one thing that Todd does a lot is talk about time frames, right? And you look at that chart that he presented there, we've had three corrections now, and they've all lasted roughly around the same time. So now you would expect some kind of rebound. Let's call it 30 to 60 days or so. And that's, again, a tradable market. At that point, we'll have to see what the world looks like. You know, in, in 60 days, if we still have a trade war, if the Fed all of a sudden turns hawkish, if the, the, if the government is still shut down, yeah, then you have the catalyst for much lower lows. But right now, today, I think that's passed. 
I think it's going higher. I think that if we get two or three more days like this over the next few weeks, we've all agreed that psychology is a critical part to this, that yep. we haven't talked much about that. All the headlines that consumers are reading right now is the market had a great day. We can continue that. I think we can power through this. You're safe coming out of here. You're safe. All right. <laughs> uh, we're going to have much more on today's monster rally, the biggest ever point gain ever. We'll talk more about the FANG stocks. Two names that Todd says actually could be buy signs right now. He doesn't hate everything. Plus, retail's Christmas miracle. The stock soaring after a big boost in holiday spending. Is the tide about to turn for some of the beaten up retail names? And oil, holy mackerel, best day in two years. The great Halima Croft is up on Fast Money 5 p.m. You're welcome. We're back right after this. Welcome to the Canva guided meditation for stress at work. Impending deadline? Generate Canva presentations in seconds. So fast. Brainstorm got too big? Summarize with AI in a click. Click, click, click. Writer's block? Release with Canva Magic Write. Magical. Stress less and save time at canva.com. Designed for work. All right, welcome back to Fast Money. It was the best holiday season in six years for American retailers. Consumers spent nearly $1 trillion. Wow. Sending retail and shipping stocks soaring today. Frank Holland, who's also had a very long day, back at CNBC HQ to break it all down. We got to stop meeting on the fives, my friend, and that is AM and PM. Well, we're going to do it again tomorrow, so (laughs) don't say stop it just yet. All right, let's get down to business. Holiday spending growing by more than 5% from last year, $850 billion spent between November 1st and December 24th. Online spending also up 19%. All this data coming from MasterCard. Specialty apparel stores, they saw the biggest gains in sales, nearly 8%. Brick and mortar stores up more than 3%. However, department store sales fell more than a percent. MasterCard says that was largely due to closures. And the retail sector seeing a big boost from all this holiday spending with the ETF, the XRT ETF, closing up more than 5%, a major turnaround from recent declines and having its best day since 2011. One of the biggest winners today, Wayfair, closing up more than 11%. American Eagle and Abercrombie and & Fitch, both finishing up more than 10%. Those are those specialty re- uh, retailers that we're talking about in apparel. Amazon, of course, the big dog in retail, also reporting what they're calling a record-breaking holiday season. I'm using air quotes, not giving out hard data. But the e-commerce giant says it shipped more than 1 billion items through its Prime service and also says it sold, quote-unquote, millions more of its devices like Echo and Fire TV. Amazon, of course, a huge part of this retail rally, closing up more than 9%. And finally, the holiday e-commerce report card last week, the last week before Christmas and Christmas Eve, is really like the Super Bowl for these major shippers. And they're graded on on-time performance. The post office getting the highest marks for on-time delivery. UPS and FedEx really just a tick behind. All three were above 95% for the holiday season, which is considered excellent. And Brian, we've been talking about this since 5 a.m. There's not a direct correlation between on-time shipping and stock price, but you have to note FedEx finishing with its best day since 2016. UPS rallying all day, finishing with its best day since 2009. Uh, good, good stuff, Frank Holland, and I will see you bright and early. We've got about uh, 11 hours. All right. See you there. <laughs> Take care. All right. So is this just the beginning of a bigger rally for the retailers? Pete Nigerian, what do you think? You think the retailers are going to run some good data today? 
Well, yeah, great data, as a matter of fact. But you know what, Brian, it's interesting because all this time, everybody's always focusing, and I think it really does tell you a little bit about what's driving this market, right? I mean, part of the issue is, is the consumer really there? Are they strong? Are they confident? How are sales? How, how's everything doing in terms of hiring and jobs and all the rest of that? All of that's been very, very positive, as we know. Brian Cornell from Target's talked about how strong it really is, strongest he's ever seen. So when you go through all of that, and then all of a sudden, you do deliver. The facts are now in. Now people are able to bite into this and say, you know what? Maybe it's not as bad as everybody's talking about. So I think that is very interesting. I look at names like Target. I looked at that big turn in Amazon today. Absolutely incredible. I own some of these names. I look at Lululemon up 8%. I think some of these names, many of these names, have been sold off because of what I keep bringing this up, but the algorithms, they don't look at fundamentals. It's just sell and sell anything yeah. and everything. So that's what's been going on. And take a look at something like Target. It was $88 stock down to 60 I mean, are you kidding me? Was it fundamental? No. But now all of a sudden you get some of the concrete numbers, and when you see those, they're impressive enough that I think that might trigger some interest again in retail, in UPS, in FedEx, some of these shippers. Yeah, okay. So Gene Munster, I don't know if you remember, this building, the NASDAQ on Squawk Box, I think it was late August, early September, I don't remember the date. Brian Cornell, the CEO of Target, speaking to Becky Quick, said, and I quote, it's the best consumer economy he has seen in 30 years of retail. Unfortunately for Brian Cornell, I think that was about the peak in Target stock. You have said, now you're a Minneapolis guy as well, by the way, where they're headquartered. You've also said you think Amazon could buy Target, if I remember correctly. You do remember correctly. We said it would happen in 2018, and we were wrong. But we still think that this is going to happen, ultimately because Amazon wants to be much more than just an online retailer. They want to also capture brick and mortar. To get that at scale, you need more than the 500 Whole Foods stores. And so the kind of six. The reason I bring that up, the reason I bring that up is you heard Pete make the fundamental case for Target, and, and it was well oversold. I assume you agree with that view, given that you're bullish of the markets, and you throw in maybe that sprinkle on top of a possible deal. I would guess that even though you're known as a tech guy, that you would think Target would be a good target. I think Target's a great target. I still think that that uh, combination is going to happen. I also would say that just quickly talking about Amazon and some of the things that Pete was talking about on their press release and in your setup, 1,900 word press release today from Amazon. That's a big, that's about three times bigger than a typical press release. We went through and parsed that through. It's quite a puzzle. But at the end of the day, I would caution viewers that this uh, quote record sales, record holiday sales quarter that they had, that means that it's up, uh, could be up a few percent and the street's looking for 19% growth from Amazon. So I think that Amazon, even though I'm a believer in everything they're doing longer term, could fade after today's rally. Chris? The consumer's good. Retail stocks have bounced. I think Pete is right. You have to trade them. Sentiment around them was terrible and they bounced. We had a great holiday season. I can tell you from my family, a lot of gifts all around the tree. But at the end of the day, what you want to do is you want to trade them when nobody else wants them. They bounce significantly. I don't know if they hold that bounce. And really what you want to do is you want to look for parts in the market that have really been beaten down, where well, they're really out of consensus. Crushed. I mean, absolutely crushed. They, but they I, just, I do wonder, BK, if the expectations, to Gene's point, are just way too high. 
Everyone knew it was a good year. Everyone knew the the consumer was strong. Right. That's not breaking news. Yeah. And then you had FedEx come out and say, listen, things aren't as strong. And people maybe took that as a proxy for what's going on with the online retailers. But go looking forward. What we have tomorrow, consumer confidence tomorrow at 10 a.m. That should help the retailers, assuming consumer confidence stays high. If everything that MasterCard survey is saying, consumers are actually pretty positive at this point. We've probably priced in the negative wealth effect of the stock market falling and are due for a surprise. So I think as long as the consumers stay pretty happy, you're going to have a sustainable rally in retail. Okay. For more on the retail rally, head to tradingnation.cnbc.com. Right now, though, you are watching Fast Money on CNBC. We are first in business worldwide. Here's what else coming up on the program tonight. Bang stocks are getting back in the saddle. And one top technician says it's off to the races for two names in particular. He'll tell us what they are. And... (laughs) (laughs) Want to know what has Elon so giggly? (laughs) Well, it might have something to do with Tesla's huge move today. And you won't believe how high some see the stock going. All that and more when Fast Money returns. Canva presents stories to keep you up at night. It was an ordinary work day until... The Singapore presentation is at 3 a.m. The office was shocked. (laughs) That's when we sleep. Maya made it less scary with Canva. (laughs) I'll just record my presentation so Singapore can watch it anytime. Record and present anytime with Canva presentations at canva.com. Designed for work. Support for this program is provided by Chevron. Demand for energy is projected to continue rising in the future. To help keep up, Chevron is increasing their U.S. oil and gas production. And they're innovating to help do it responsibly across their operations, including their Gulf of Mexico facilities, which are some of the world's lowest carbon intensity operations, helping supply energy that's affordable, reliable, and ever cleaner. That's energy in progress. Learn more at chevron.com slash meeting demand. All right, welcome back to Fast Money. The teleprompter, which is what we are supposed to read, says it was a huge day on Wall Street. That is understated. The Nasdaq up 6%. It's best day since 2009. It was the single best point gain ever for the New York Stock Exchange. Not percentage, but point. Either way, Bob Pisani at the NYSE. This was indeed a bigly day. Yeah, it was a really tough day overall. Started out and got a lot better as we went on. Amazon, take a look at some of the moves up here. Amazon up 9%, the best day in the year. Uh, Facebook up 8%. Netflix up 8.5%. Apple and Alphabet up 7%. These are all high beta names, guys. So meaning when the S&P is up, say, 1%, they'll move more. Amazon, for example, will typically be up 1.6% when the S&P is up 1%. And that's exactly what happened, essentially. With the S&P up 5%, look at Amazon up 9.5%. That's a sign of how oversold it has been. Netflix, for example, typically be up 1.9% when the S&P is up 1%. That's a really high beta name. That's just shy of what you would expect here. Uh, S&P up 5%. Netflix up 8.5%. Apple and Alphabet up 7%. Other tech names have had it tougher, but tech is still outperforming all throughout the year, down 5% compared to the 9% decline we've seen for the S&P 500. As benefits the high beta names, the volatility has been incredible. Semiconductors, for example, have gone from up 15% 
to down 20%. That's just as a group. That's a 35% swing for a sector. Enormous. Here's another way to look at this volatility and the way I like to look at it. Many stocks are way off their highs, but they're still up for the year. Look, for example, uh, 50% off its highs, AMD, 50% off its highs, uh, still up 70% for the year. Adobe, 21% off its 52-week highs, still up 25% for the year. Even Microsoft, 15% off its 52-week high, but still up 15% for the year. Cisco, 16% off its high, still up 9%. This gives you an idea, Brian, of how huge the swings have been this year. Back to you. Absolutely massive. Bob Pisani, thank you very much, my friend. All right. Now, let's go to three technology names that you may want to buy right now. Why do we say that? Well, let's go to the charts once again with Todd Gordon of TradingAnalysis.com, who has some things that he does like despite remaining bearish on the overall market. Todd. Yep, absolutely. There's the names I added to my portfolio today just to see how much of this short-squeezing rally we can ride. Apple's a good holding. I added some today. We're in a beautiful technical position. This right here is the weekly chart. You don't just look at moving averages on the daily. You can look at weekly. And I believe sometimes those MAs are more powerful on the weekly. This is the 200 week moving average. And you can see we came right down. The average price over the last 200 weeks of Apple is right there. So we just simply mean reverted. That's all that means. On top of that, if you take a look at the move that originated from 80 all the way up to that 210 area, whatever, in Apple 220, we did a 50% price retracement, which winds up being right on top of that. So the zone is everywhere from 147 to 142. We got right down to that 147 area. Put the bounce in. We closed up around 154, 155 today. So I would say good enough. I added to my holdings in Apple. We could get a bit of a bounce, maybe back to about 160, 170. That's all I'm looking for. Next one up, Google. It's actually held a really, really well. Apple Belt has held really, really well. Um, a good shuffle support right around this even 1,000 level. And if you were to throw any indicator up there, any indicator you want, you would sh- show some divergence. You would show a loss of momentum on the approach to 1,000. The rate of change is decreasing. So I think that short squeeze could continue up, maybe get a move back towards about 1,100 in Google. And here's a sleeper, one that I, one of the largest holdings in my portfolio. Um, a service called Twilio, which I actually used to send text messages out to all of my subscribers in my business. Really, really good relative strength. TWLO to the S&P. You can see Twilio divided into the S&P, certainly showing a very strong outperformance. The 200-day moving average, adding some really good support here. Um, I think we're right around the 82 level. I think a move back towards 100 on any kind of short squeeze. We could even make a 52-week high um, on Twilio. So uh, I really like this one. Added more to my holdings today. Yeah, you know, hey, Todd, I I know you're negative on the overall market, but you're bullish on Google. How systemically important is Google, if at all? I mean, I know it's, you know, it's, listen, it's one of the FANG stocks, so it matters. So if you're right in the tech, technology analysis, won't it matter to the overall market because Google is so big and important? A- absolutely. And we're actually seeing some tech, I think, tech relative strength, NASDAQ relative to the S&P. We're starting to, so you're starting to see tech kind of outperform. Um, you're seeing a lot more S&P heavy sectors like industrials and, on, and other names really start to press lower. So I do think, again, we could get a short-term move up here. I'm not saying we're all going to be heading out and making a new high, but you can get a bounce in Apple, you know, up to that 150. You could get Google up to 1100. You can get Amazon even back to 1500. So I think tech is starting to show some good performance. The other thing that I'd mention is semiconductors. SMH really started to hold some good lows. So I really do think that uh, tech might be a source of value in here, might be some stability, I think, in, a, uh, in an overall weak tape. 
All right, Todd Gordon, tradinganalysis.com. Todd, thank you very much. So, Gene, we know that Todd likes Google. Apple, you think it will outperform in the near term? That's right, Brian. This afternoon, we came out with our 2019 predictions. So we have eight of those predictions. The number one prediction is that Apple is going to outperform the rest of FANG. I think there's going to be a breakup in FANG in 2019. But specifically, uh, I agree conceptually where Todd is. Some of the numbers he talked about and where Apple can go were in a disagreement. I want to put some quick context. Every about 10 years or so, there's a different methodology in terms of how investors think about the Apple story. The last one was the iPhone. This next phase is around services, and we're not talking about the 15% business of their services. This is the hardware operating like a service. If that happens, and they can start to get investors more comfortable that there is some stability in this business and predictability, you could see a consumer staples type of a multiple, which would imply about a $350 stock. I mean, this is orders of magnitude more than, as a sell-side analyst for a long time, it was always a little bit nerve-wracking to really stick your neck out. That's why you see these marginal price increase targets but this could be a much bigger uh, story about Apple's uh, next chapter. Yeah, well, Apple suffered just like the market did with the Fed. They botched this transition. They did a terrible job in the last quarter, basically surprising the market, saying, hey, we're not going to issue uh, any guidance well, anymore. Let me ask this. They, they botched it, yeah, they, they, How else do you do it? They did it on a 40% earnings growth, 20% revenue it doesn't, growth. I, I mean, listen, we can go back and forth about how they should have done it, the way they did it, botched it, but that creates an opportunity for investors. And so I agree with you. You have fundamental support for this. They have, you know, they botched this. So now people are saying, oh, geez, we don't know what's going on with this. They dumped out of it. That's an opportunity in Apple. I like it here. Do you think they made any kind of a weird marketing mistake? I mean, you hear people, you've even heard commercials called the XR. It's the 10R, which sounds like a Nissan. Like, th- this may be a rare marketing mistake. It was a, I got an email today. You could buy the new XR for $4.99 or something. Aren't you worried that it's just not going to live yeah, they're, they're up? Making- that they may have made a... And a rare, if not one-time, mistake with this rollout. I think, let me, let me fast forward here for a month. I think Apple's going to guide down for the March quarter. You do? I do. Okay. And I still think this is going to outperform the rest of FANG. The guide down is maybe already into the stock right now. It's mostly priced in. But I think what, what gets lost is, yes, there can be some incremental shifts. But if you look at just holistically how people are centering their lives around Apple, that becomes more of a services like a business, and that deserves a higher multiple. All right. May guide down for the March quarter, but probably already priced in. Bullish on Apple. Energy stocks also on fire today. Crude oil soaring nearly 10%. Oil expert Halima Croft says this is the beginning of an even bigger rally. She'll be here. Plus, Tesla stock up 10% today. One of the traders says it's a top pick heading into the new year. We're going to find out why when Fast Money returns. All right, welcome back to Fast Money on this really, truly an historic day for the markets. And oil was a big part of that. Oil prices roared back today, jumping more than 9% after sinking to their lowest level in 18 months earlier this week. Let's go to our own very own Jackie DeAngelis for all the details on a big oil day. Jackie. Hi there, Brian. Well, it was a big bounce indeed. Let's take a look at the day's range. That says a lot. The session low was 42 and a half. The session high was $47 even. 46.22 is where oil finished up the session. So it was up almost 9% on the day. The oil market's volatility is tracking what we're seeing in the stock market. They're moving hand in hand right now. But oil's been down for a few reasons. The fundamentals say there's probably still too much supply in the market, even with OPEC cutting. 
and this is a seasonally weaker period for demand. But then oil takes a second punch when stocks suffer because investors worry about future demand, global growth. Finally, lower oil prices then call into question the energy sector's ability to maintain its profitability. That drags on stocks again as if there wasn't enough fear in the marketplace. Now, crude oil is down a little bit less than 25% year to date. That number looked so much more uglier before today's move higher. And of course, the energy sector has been struggling too. We've got to see how it shakes out, but it could be the worst quarter in history for energy. So take a look at some of the names getting crushed. They might have had a good day today, but Hess, Marathon, Schlumberger, Valero, Halliburton, the losses here are staggering. And the names show you that there's weakness across the sector from big oil to the servicers to the pipelines to the refiners. Now, the question, of course, after a move like today's, can it be sustained? Investors got comfortable with prices a little over $50 a barrel. I think they're going to be happy with this point with stabilization a little over 45, Brian. Well, we're going to find out, Jackie DeAngelis, and we appreciate it. Thank you very much. Your next guest, well known to Jackie and our team here, says the sell-off in crude in the energy space is overdone. Halima Croft, head of commodity strategy, RBC Capital Markets, joining us now. First off, welcome. Thank you. Second off, what do you make of today's big rally? I mean, there was really no bullish news out there. No, that's the point. No catalyst. No catalyst. So, again. Why am I yelling? I've been up for 60 hours. That said, Brian, you said earlier on the show that, you know, the big problem for oil is supply. And so I think what we're going to really need to see as we get into January, what happens with the OPEC cuts? Do they materialize in a way that brings this market back into balance? I think that's the next sort of real story to watch in the oil markets from a fundamental perspective. When we were in Vienna and they made the cut, you said on the air that if they didn't cut, we might go to the low 40s, high 30s. We went to the low 40s even with the cut. But what I think is important for people to realize is that these cuts have really not taken hold yet, no, have they? No, no. I mean, it's they, not immediate. It's not like tomorrow we cut. That's no, not how oil works. they start the beginning of January. So basically we have a situation where all the supply remained on the market. We had the Saudis who pushed production up so high going into that Iran sanctions decision. And now it's really going to be on the back of Saudi Arabia to take back the summer surge. Will they? Oh, I think they definitely will. I mean, one story that got overlooked last week, Saudi's budget came out, and they're having a 7% increase in spending. Saudi Arabia's budget is based on an $80 Brent price. So the question is, can we get back there? But I think for the Saudi leadership, they're going to do whatever it takes to try to get oil on a firmer footing. Isn't this just shuffling the, the chairs on the deck of the Titanic when we talk about oil coming back? And ultimately, we're going Titanic to... Titanic was coal-fired. Ultimately... <laughs> uh, this is uh, cars are going to use less. We're one percent of EV today. That's going to grow exponentially. And yes, we can get a rally, but at I the mean, end of the day, there's a, a shift away. Until we have the real shift away from oil, I think we're still you know years away from that. I mean, we. But still, it's coming. It's coming at a certain point. We're still going to need oil, though, for transportation. We're still going to need. You're not going to be able to have an EV for a plane, obviously. So I do think that there's going to be an energy transition, but that's not the issue for the next couple of years. The big issue for maybe the next a couple, couple of decades, according to some people. Right. No offense. It is growing. Disagree. I think no, Gene. It's growing exponentially, but then you're going to. But it's but the, the amount of cars that are electric is Small nothing. Small percentage it's of almost the market. Nothing. It, but the thing is, it's about the future. It's about the intent to buy. It's about where that market share is going to go. I was recently in the UAE. Those people there, those sovereign funds are talking a lot about this trend. I think that... Yeah. Oh, oh, and Saudis are talking a lot about solar panels. No, and you think about it. I mean, UAE you make a very good point. It. I mean, I think they're sovereign funds. They invest in EVs. They invest in the batteries. But they also make very big investments in conventional plays as well. So I think about a country like UAE, it's much more about diversification than a single bet on electric vehicles. Fair. 
But I think the big story, though, in terms of oil is going to be what happens with the U.S., because that's the kind of shuffling story. I mean, the more OPEC makes cuts, is that a lifeline to U.S. shale? And I think that's going to be a key story to watch for this year is what do shale producers do? But what, that's, that's the big problem. I mean, right now, capital, I, can you hear that sound? That's capital spending plans being cut left right. and right for next year, which maybe is a bullish thing. Maybe a bullish thing. But right now, you still have this sentiment that shale is going to overwhelm an OPEC cut. Yeah. I think, actually, this market will tighten. I think Q1 will be a bit sloppy. But I think the market is overlooking, I think, what's going to be the impact of the OPEC cut. So, Helena, how important is this $40-ish level, right? We saw before oil consolidate there. When it got below it, then everybody was concerned that, you know what, some of these shale producers are going to go out of business. We're back there. Does this serve as kind of fundamental, is there a fundamental support level to $40 in oil? I mean, what we were looking for was that that 4205 we thought was going to be a key, you know, number to watch. You know, if you fall below there, you really are going to start to see questions about, you know, can shale producers sustain drilling for next year? I mean, the Permian can be more profitable, but you have these other plays that are not going to be profitable at all in this type of price environment. The question is, though, how quickly does that mean production will actually come down? So prices going to go up in the new year, bottom line. Yeah, yes, prices will go up in the new year, barring some major economic meltdown. Okay, and Halima, we enjoy seeing you on the 5 a.m. as well. Yes. Don't get too comfortable. No, that's my show. <laughs> All right. <laughs> thank you. Get up early. The early bird gets the oil worm. Halima Croft, RBC Capital Markets, thank you. So if Halima's right, and she normally is, if oil is heading higher next year, should investors be buying any of these energies names and stocks on the dip here? Pete Nigerian, I put out loads of statistics on this. Some of these stocks are down 40 and 50 percent in 20 days. Yeah. Yeah, it's been it's been an amazing just absolutely just pounding of some of these names, Brian. But I think to to Gene's point, I think if you go towards the integrated side of things, you do get a little more investment into the different alternatives that are out there, obviously. So and I think that's an investment that they're slowly moving towards. It's a lot like when you look at what's going on in the marijuana world right now. You see the investments that are being made there for the future. Those aren't for really right now. Those are for the future. I think these integrated names, when you look at the cash that they're throwing going off. Those are the names that I'd be in. Now, they didn't react in, an, in a very violent way to the upside when we did have oil moving up as fast as it did, but we did see them start to fall back pretty fast. I think those are the names to be in when you're considering what kind of move do we expect out of energy. And from what I heard from Alima, it doesn't sound like we're looking at something that's going to spike. It sounds like something that's going to start to percolate and start to move to the upside. If that's the case, I think the integrated names are the place to be. So, Pete, what do you think about the super majors? What do you think about the refiners right here? Because those are names that we're looking at, or those are spaces we're looking at, because yeah. we find a lot of value there. Yeah, I, I agree with you. And as a matter of fact, I've done some adding here and there, but I've already had positions on in something like an Exxon and Chevron and some of those names. I got very little beta on right now. I've got one, Diamondback, which is F-A-N-G symbol. But outside of that, there's a name that I was staring at today, and I'm just looking at it. Just I can't believe the level that it's at, and that's Valero. So you talk about refiners. That's, right. that's a really interesting name here. And when you look at what their, what their balance sheet looks like, what they look like as a company going forward, I think that's one of the names that's absolutely been sold all the way. I mean, incredible selling in that name. I think there are opportunities out there. That would be one of the names. If, if, if Alima's right in terms of mm-hmm. the direction and what sort of energy push we've got, I think that's a name that could do very uh, yeah, well. Yeah, well, I'll just jump in on that one, guys. I hear you. Crack spreads changing, but be careful on this IMO, International Maritime Organization 2020 rules. I know it sounds insane. Yep. Has to do with the change in sulfur content on diesel. It's one of the reasons refiners have acted a little bit bizarre. We'll do more on that early in the new year as well. Pete Nigerian, mm-hmm. thank you very much. 
much. So, Chris, you guys, when you say looking at, I assume you're looking right. at because you, you think these refiners, which have been hit as hard as any group in oil That's outside right. of the offshore names, are a good value. We do think they're a good value. So we run a model portfolio. In, in that model portfolio, we have refiners, we have some of the super majors, and we think there's good value there. We okay. don't. It, we no, go to a tease here. We appreciate it. Good value in the refiners. A lot more to do. Goes to Gene's theme. One trader here saying Tesla, one of his topics for next year. Going to find out one of the four and see how high he thinks Tesla could go. Fast money is back faster than it takes a Model X to go from zero to 60. Well, that's, that's fast. Stick around. Big day for the markets, big day for Tesla. Tesla stock surging more than 10% today. This also coming as Wedbush said demand for the Model 3 looks strong in the next year and beyond. Gene, you made some comments on EVs earlier. This is one of your topics for next year. Why are you so bullish on a stock that has been just so unpredictable? Because the theme is so undeniable. I mean, when you think about product roadmaps, Tesla has the best roadmap in all of tech. You've got cars, you've got panels, you've got storage walls, all that. That's the future. No other company can claim that. I can't make excuses for what Elon Musk and Neville is going to do on Twitter in the future, but I can <laughs> say that the company has the best electric car at the best price. And I will add, uh, I think later this year, they will unveil. They haven't talked about this. We think they're going to unveil the Model Y. And that's where they really get beat hard in the U.S. market is in that SUV class. And they're going to start to show people uh, that Model Y later on this year. I think all the combination of these is uh, opportunity for Make, a stock. You agree with Wedbush then, obviously, BK? Yeah, long-term secular play on not just EVs, electric vehicles, but also just getting carbon oil out of the electric grid. That's what Tesla's going after. I think you probably have a lower probability of Elon Musk blowing up this story via tweet now that it's all in the past. Hopefully they've got control on him. He certainly is the creative genius behind it. What would be great for Tesla if they really got a good operator in there. That would make me happier. All right, guys, thank you very much. Well, the big name financials, also a group that was on a tear today. Is this a real sign? Some of the pain in financials, one of the hardest hit groups, may finally be coming to an end. Sector down 24% from its highs. See what the options market is saying. We're going to check in with Dan Nathan, who is in Dallas. We are live at the NASDAQ, and we are back right after this. Like many sectors today, on a record-breaking day for the Dow, the big banks breaking out after a, shall we say, rough couple of months. The XLF ETF sitting in bear market territory. That means it's down more than 20% from its high. But one trader is betting today's rally has long-term legs. Dan Nathan in Dallas breaking down the, dare I say, options action, Dan. Yeah, hey, Sully. You know, it was in Morgan Stanley today, and call volume was about one and a half times that of puts. And it looked like a trader was looking out to February expiration, playing for a move back up below or above, excuse me, a very important breakdown level. When the stock was 38 today, there was a buyer of 8,000 of the February 42 calls, paying 86 cents for those. Those break even on February expiration uh, up at 42.86, up about 13% from the trading price. Really important. The stock was up 6% today. That's about half the distance that you need to do uh, to get to if you want to break even on these. We have two charts real quickly showing that $40, uh, $40 breakdown level, the five-year chart, really important level there. And then look at this 20-year chart. You know, this, this thing is in a massive, massive downtrend, um, a series of lower highs here. Um, you know, so to me, 
hard hit group. I know a lot of investors are looking for this to be a sort of dogs of the Dow play into 2019 because they were so hard hit in 2018. All right, big bet there on Morgan Stanley. Dan, good to see you in Dallas. Safe travels, my friend. Happy New Year. For more options, action, check out the full show Fridays, 5.30 p.m. Eastern. We're back right after this. Time for your final trades. Let's go around the horn. Pete Najarian. I'll tell you what, we're going to stick with a little bit of tech. How about Alibaba? Love what I saw in the call buying in there today, so I love this name. All right, Chris. Reeds, we love them. You get paid to wait, and they work in an uptape and a downtape. Gene, own Apple. Don't think about it for the next 6 to 12 months. Even if they cut guidance in March. Still own it today. BK? You know what? I'm going to call today the Sully Surge. Because you, from 5 a.m. to now, you got the market up 1,000 points. It's the Sully Surge today. If the Sully Surge is actually going to work, and we've got a bottom here, you might not need gold as a safety trade anymore, so I'd take some profits in that. At least you didn't call it the Sully Bottom. Don't talk no, about no. my bottom. <laughs> BK, Gene, Chris, thank you, Pete and Jerry. And that does it for Fast Money. Catch us tomorrow. Yeah. I'll be out at 5 a.m. Jim Cramer, Mad Money begins right now. Is America's primary system working? Is the Electoral College still the best process for electing a president? Could a third-party candidate ever be successful? In a new season of You Might Be Right, former Tennessee governors Bill Haslam and Phil Bredesen gather the country's top experts to explore these issues and more as we approach the 2024 presidential election. Listen to You Might Be Right, a new podcast from the Baker School at the University of Tennessee, available now wherever you get your podcasts.